built into Christ secure we stand. God's faithfulness to keep his promises is the reason we are free from the penalty of covenant breaking and the reason we are heirs of the promised inheritance. By faith in Christ, the sure and steadfast anchor of our souls. Let us pray. God, our Father, we come before you this day depending wholly upon your faithfulness to keep us, to love us, and to fulfill your promises, including that wonderful inheritance that we have. We depend on you to keep us in Christ, that you would strengthen our faith, that our resolve would be to anchor ourselves in Jesus who is sure and steadfast. Bless us with understanding as we come to this passage of Scripture. I pray that you would enable me to be faithful as the preacher, enable us to be faithful as the hearers of your word preached. Asking this in Christ's name, amen. Now the word of God, please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. One of our favorite Christmas movies is Jingle All the Way. Uh, Jamie, uh, the young son, wanted a Turbo Man action figure for Christmas. Always keep your promises, said Turbo Man, if you want to keep your friends. The father in the movie, Howard Langston, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, struggled to keep his promises. He promised to attend his son's award ceremony But, once again, he allowed work to get in the way, and he didn't make it. Another promise broken. He promised his wife that he would purchase a Turbo Man action figure for his son Jamie early for a Christmas present, but he forgot to do so. Another promise broken. And Howard promised his family that he would spend Christmas Eve with them. Of course, he spent the entire day trying to find a Turbo Man 
action figure so his son would have a Christmas present and missed being with the family, another promise broken. Howard and maybe we struggle to keep our promises. Thankfully, God always keeps his promises in order to keep his heirs. Hebrews was written to Jewish believers as we have been studying in this series who were being pressured to, in effect, violate God's covenant through Christ by forsaking Christ and reverting to Judaism. The author exhorted them in the book of Hebrews and throughout the entire book to hold fast in Christ, that is to persevere in the faith. The author has already told us many of the reasons for holding fast to Christ. Jesus is superior to the Old Testament scriptures. He's superior to angels, to Moses, to Joshua, and to the Aaronic priesthood. We see this from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 5 and verse 10. And then in chapter 5, verse 11, the author paused his lesson on Jesus, a great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, to deal with a pressing problem that he had identified in the original hearers of and readers of this letter. And that problem was they were spiritually immature. So he sternly rebuked them for their sluggishness. He soberly challenged them with the real and present danger of apostasy. And he, he sincerely encouraged them with the full assurance and confidence that indeed they will persevere. He called them to imitate those who through faith and patience had grown to maturity and persevered to the end, inheriting the promises. And his chief example is Abraham. So today we'll consider chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, as we consider Abraham in light of his example of faith, God's guarantee of faith, and Jesus, the anchor of faith. The example of faith. Do you have a hero? Is there someone in your life, maybe someone in history, that you seek to pattern your life after? Harry Reader once said that you need, we need to make sure that our heroes have been dead at least a hundred years so that the good and the bad of their lives can be scrutinized and their record set. Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us a hero to imitate who's been dead quite a few more years than a hundred, maybe over 4,000. And it's interesting that his record, the good and the bad, are clearly detailed in Scripture for us to scrutinize. His record is set. And so the author calls us specifically to imitate Abraham's faith in God, trusting God to fulfill those covenant promises. So we see this in verses 13 through 14 of 
Hebrews 6. We find God's promise to Abraham and his offsprings primarily given to us in a number of passages, but specifically Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, and Genesis 22. Now, I know Bob covered this in Sunday school this morning. Where are you going to hear it again? The promise centers on the provision of a son through whom a great nation would come and by whom the world's nations would be blessed. Now, the promise of a son for Abraham and Sarah was almost an impossible thing in their minds for God to fulfill because they were old. Sarah was well past the age of childbearing. But in Genesis, the promise is given in Genesis 12, then in Genesis 15, verses 1 through 5, and go ahead and turn to Genesis 15. We'll refer to Genesis 15 several times as well as Genesis 22. In Genesis 15, 1 through 5, God confirmed his promise to Abraham, assuring Abraham that that son that he adopted, Eleazar, would not be the son of promise, but the son of promise would be one literally in the Hebrew from Abraham's own belly. That is a natural son from the union of Sarah and Abraham. In verse 6, we read that Abraham believed the Lord, that he would provide this son And through Abraham's faith, God accounted or credited to him or imputed to him righteousness. Now, this verse 6 of Genesis 15 is the first direct reference to the doctrine of of, of righteousness being imputed through faith that we find in the Bible central to our understanding of justification But Abraham patiently waited. Hebrews 13 tells us that. We see this in Genesis 15. He patiently waited. He believed God. He hung on to God's promise by faith for over 25 years. And then God fulfilled that promise of a son, the birth of Isaac, that we find recorded in Genesis chapter 21. Now, in Genesis chapter 22, the text that Jason read earlier, very familiar text to us, Abraham's faith was tested even after Isaac was born. God commanded Abraham to sacrifice this long-awaited-for son. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 19 tells us, that Abraham believed that if he indeed followed through with what God told him to do and killed his son, that God would raise him from the dead. And so Abraham followed all the prescriptions that we find in Genesis chapter 22, and there on the altar raises the knife ready to plunge it into the chest of his son in obedience to God, and an angel stayed his hand. The writer of Hebrews says, actually bases verse 14 of chapter 6 on Genesis chapter 22, 16 through 18. Let me reread that. Genesis 22, 16 through 18. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring 
as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Now, I want you to see something here. The promise of God for Abraham was realized in the provision of Isaac and the provision of that substitute. Hang on to those two things. Abraham demonstrated great faith in God, fulfilling his covenant promises. Even when the promise seemed impossible to be fulfilled. Is there a promise in your life where you think there is no way this is going to be fulfilled? How can it be? Though Abraham did not live to see the greater fulfillment of the promise in his offspring forming a great nation, through him all the world's nations would be blessed. God did fulfill his promise to Abraham, and Abraham realizes in the birth of Isaac and the provision of a substitute. And this is the quality of faith the writer of Hebrews calls each one of us to imitate. Hebrews 6 and verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those, specifically Abraham, who through faith and patience, that is perseverance, inherit the promises. May we imitate Abraham's faith. God's faithfulness to keep his promises is the reason we are free from the penalty of covenant breaking and heirs of the promised inheritance by faith in Christ, the sure and steadfast anchor of our souls, the guarantee of faith. For Father's Day, Renee bought me a wok. It is awesome. Blue steel, heavy, well-made, a chef, which I am not, but nonetheless, a chef's dream. It has a limited lifetime warranty. And, you know, every time I've seen that term, a limited lifetime warranty, I think to myself, limited? What kind of warranty is that? If I told Renee, Renee, I have a limited promise to be your husband. I mean, what kind of a promise is that? It is guaranteed, this walk, to be free from defect and to work as designed to work. One thing I needed to keep in mind about thinking about this limited lifetime warranty is that the walk is not under warranty if I drive over it with my car. And that realization kind of helped me understand the limited aspect to this warranty. But God's guarantee, however, is not limited at all. 
God's guarantee is for those who are united to the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith. It's not limited by our imperfections. It's not limited by our failures. It is not limited by anything in us or anything in this world, not even living in a fallen world. We are guaranteed 100% to inherit the promises of God because he guarantees so. He has an unlimited lifetime warranty. The author tells us in verses 15 through 18 of Hebrews 6, why Abraham waited patiently, that is why he believed, why he waited patiently by faith, and by the way, more on Abraham's faith and more on faith in chapter 11. He states the principle, people swear by something greater to confirm or to guarantee that they are telling the truth in a dispute. Likely there's a legal matter that's in the mind of the writer here. But God, however, swears by his own character. He is the highest. There is no one or nothing greater. And the two unchangeable things that we see noted in verse 18 are God's promises according to his purposes and his oath. Promises and oath, two unchangeable things. He guarantees his heirs that they will receive his promise in full by taking an oath based on or by the unchangeable character of his purposes. Psalm 110 verse 4 and the first part of that psalm tells us, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. His own character never changes. It is, and for example, it is impossible for God to lie. He is immutable, that doctrine that we find. God always keeps his promises, for he does not change his mind, for he cannot lie. He has sworn by his own character. In verse 17, we find that God convinced Abraham of the guarantee of his promise being fulfilled even before Isaac was born. Now turn with me to Genesis 15. After confirming his promise of a son in verses 1 through 6 of Genesis 15, now in verses 7 through 21, we find God instructing Abraham to take some animals, a heifer, a goat, a ram, turtle, dove, and a pigeon. And for the larger animals, they were to cut these animals, the, Abraham was to cut the larger animals in half and, and lay the halves opposite one another, like, like a, a, a butterfly orientation, to butterfly these, these animals. Now drop down to verse 17. When the sun set, Abraham observed a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passing through these animal pieces. And then in verse 18 we read that on that day the Lord made, the Hebrew actually says literally cut a covenant with Abraham, pledging to give Abraham's offspring through the promised son all the land that's noted in verse 19, that is the promised land. Now, the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch was a theophany. We know that. It's a physical representation of God. 
And what is amazing is that what Abraham witnessed was God himself passing through those animal pieces. God used a, a common treaty form in Abraham's day, the suzerainty treaty form. Abraham was well familiar with it. And this treaty form went something like this. When a suzerain, a great king, think of Nebuchadnezzar, who was over lesser kings and kingdoms, sought to bind the lesser kings and kingdoms, he would do so with a covenant. The lesser kings and kingdoms were called vassals. And this covenant would be ratified not by the suzerain binding himself, but by the vassals, the lesser kings and kingdoms, binding themselves to uphold the stipulations of the covenant. And they would do so by taking a self-maledictory oath. Animals would be slaughtered, and the vassals would ceremoniously pass through these animal pieces, and what they were saying is this, oh, great suzerain, if I violate the stipulations of this covenant, may I be slaughtered like those animals. That's a penalty, in case you're wondering. And in this way, the covenant was cut or made between the suzerain and the vassals. Here we find the ultimate suzerain, God. And by the way, just in history and in archaeology, there is only one occurrence of a suzerain binding himself. And here we find the great suzerain, the ultimate suzerain, God, taking the oath curse upon himself, pledging if the promise of a son, and through that son, the possession of those lands, the promise, in other words, promising if God did not fulfill all that he had promised to Abraham, if God violated the covenant, he made with Abraham, he was indicating, may he be mutilated like those animals. God bound himself, in a sense. And this is why in Hebrews 6.17, the writer says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. I want, you, I want us to think about Genesis 15, what God said, what God demonstrated to Abraham. If I don't fulfill all of my promises to you, may I suffer the penalty of covenant breaking, being slaughtered. May we trust God's guarantee. God's faithfulness to keep his promises is the reason we are free from the penalty of covenant breaking and heirs of the promised inheritance by faith in Christ, the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And now lastly, the anchor of faith. The story has been told of a guy <clears throat> who needed to clean his roof gutters. And so he took a rope, one end he tied to his 
car bumper that was parked out in the front of the driveway. And the other end, he threw over the ridge line of the roof. And then he climbed on top of the roof on the backside to clean the gutters there. And he took the loose end of the rope and tied it securely around himself so that he would be securely anchored and could safely clean the gutters on the backside of his house. And so as he was dutifully working, being the good husband that he was, he heard the wife who came outside and said, Honey, I'm going to the store. And then the car started. His secure anchor drove off. Well, none of us doubt the need of an anchor. The question is the steadfastness of the anchor. So many today believe they are anchored securely in humanism, in some type of a spirituality, in some form of a man-centered and relativistic religion or materialism. But in the end, these types of anchors will not prove steadfast. They will drive off, dragging you off the roof and down the road. The only sure and steadfast anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ. For Abraham's offsprings to receive the promise, they would have to uphold the covenant perfectly, every stipulation. And we've already seen in Hebrews 4, that the Exodus generation who came out of Egypt through that great redemptive work of God failed miserably. They violated the covenant. They are examples of apostasy. And as we look at the history of Israel throughout the Old Testament, even reading in the latter portions of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 31 this morning, about God's people being apostate, violating the covenant time and time again. And Joshua was going to lead them into the promised land. These people with a proven track record of covenant breaking. And they would do it again in the promised land. We see it in the pages of of Joshua itself. And we have to admit that even God's people in the New Testament, including God's people in our day, including all of us here, are covenant breakers. God showed his faithfulness in Genesis chapter 15 to keep the promise by showing his plan to deal with the penalty of his people's covenant breaking so that they would inherit the promises. In Genesis 22, God showed the promise would be received by Abraham, not only in the birth of Isaac, as we've said, which it surely was, but remember the critical moment when a substitute was provided for Isaac. And there, God showed Abraham that the promise would be fulfilled through the substitute for his son. 
the son of promise, Isaac, would live because of that ram. And Abraham's offspring would become a great nation that would bless the nations. Genesis 15 and Genesis 22 point to a greater son and a greater substitution. That self-maledictory oath taken by God in Genesis chapter 15 where that theophany passed through those animal pieces pledging to suffer the penalty of covenant breaking mutilation if the stipulations were violated that was actually realized as our Lord hung on the cross on Golgotha Jesus who upheld the covenant stipulations perfectly never violating the covenant took the penalty of God's people breaking the covenant as our substitute. Jesus submitted himself to being slaughtered like those animals, not because he broke the covenant, but because we broke the covenant. And he did so to satisfy God's justice due to covenant breaking. He took the penalty we deserved. He freed us from that penalty by satisfying God's justice for the purpose that we might enjoy the promised inheritance for all in eternity. The writer of Hebrews encourages us with the good news of Jesus as the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, verse 19. His work is so beautifully described by the writer of Hebrews, and we'll deal with this even more as we make our way through the remaining chapters and verses of Hebrews. That Jesus, Jesus is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, verse 19, because he has dealt with our covenant breaking that keep us from a relationship with God. By Jesus himself, as our great high priest, and the perfect sacrifice entering behind that curtain, that veil, in the Holy of Holies. The text says in verse 20, as a forerunner on our behalf. And we'll see that term in Hebrews chapter 12. Our forerunner who has gone before us. Jesus has gone before us. Blazing the trail to heaven. And it's by His taking our penalty and by his blood shed to atone for our sin that that curtain has been rent in two and we have access to the Father. And because of that, we possess the inheritance guaranteed. May we secure ourselves to the right anchor. The only anchor that is steadfast, the only anchor that is sure, the only anchor that will hold, the only anchor that will get us into heaven. God's faithfulness to keep his promises is the reason we are free from the penalty of covenant breaking and heirs 
of the promised inheritance. By faith in Christ, the sure and steadfast anchor of our souls. May we ever hold fast to him. Let us pray. God, our Father, we come before you acknowledging our frailty, acknowledging in so many situations the weakness of our own faith. We acknowledge, O oh Lord, that it seems at times so hard to even keep promises made to one another, much less our promises and our vows made to you. And Father, please receive our thanks and our gratitude from our heart for all that Jesus has done for us that, that frees us from that penalty. Tomorrow we celebrate our nation's independence day, but, but the Lord Jesus has brought a much greater freedom to us, being freed from sin, freed from bondage, freed from the penalty that we rightly deserve of our covenant breaking. And what's amazing, Lord, as you just simply stop to think about it, is that we're freed from this penalty in order to inherit your promise. And Father, I pray that as we reflect upon this text today, as we now come to the table, that we would be mindful of your grace and your mercy and your love and the oath that you have taken guaranteeing our inheritance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.